So you see Adam and Eve in the garden. What happens? There's a serpent who comes up and says, hey, listen, you should eat of this fruit. And in that moment, Adam and Eve have a decision. Am I going to hope? Am I going to trust in God's future? Or am I going to create my own future? And of course, they end up creating their own future. But in that moment, they had an opportunity to hope in God. And so what do you see next? All of a sudden, what you see next is that God creates hope by saying there's a future Messiah coming who will redeem and restore all of humanity, right? And then what happens? Abraham steps on the scene. And Abraham is called out into a new land in hopes that he would be able to see God do what God only can do. We see that there's hope as Israel is freed from slavery from the nation of Egypt. And as they walk from a place of bondage to a place of hope, what is that? It's a story of hope. We see the prophets who are pointing to a future Messiah and a spirit who would come upon the church. And what we see is a message of hope. We see a belief in life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And those who believe in him can have eternal hope. And as we even look at salvation, salvation is what? It's you saying, I have faith that, when I stand before God, that my belief in Jesus will make it so I can have right relationship with him. But that's something in the future, which is hope in Jesus. So the entire biblical narrative, as you look at it, it's a message over and over again of hope, of God inviting us into this anchor of hope in our lives. Let me ask you this. I know that each week uh, my iPhone does something that makes me a little annoyed uh, because it kind of confronts me with reality. And so what it does is it gives me a weekly usage report, which is really, you might as well just call it a guilt report, right? Because it shows you all the ways that I've wasted my time this past week. And so it shows, you know, how much time I spent on social media and, and on Safari and on YouTube. And I get that weekly report. I ask you this question. Uh, if you were to get a weekly report for what your thoughts looked like, and if you were to have little bars going up for the things that you think about, what would your weekly report look like? But maybe for some of us, there would be a high bar that stands up as we look at stressors in our life. And we wonder, and over and over again, we're stressed out about things at work. We're stressed out about things at home. We're stressed out about our finances. We're worried and anxious about all of the things that are happening in the world around us. And maybe for some of us, there would be a high bar when it came to stress. For some of us, there would be a high bar when it, came, when it comes to anxiety. Maybe some of us had a hard time falling asleep or we, we had this thing that was on our mind all week long there. Our boss said, hey, can I meet with you next week? Which is the worst thing, right? Because it could be great, but you're like, you're thinking of everything you've ever done wrong in, in your entire ministry career, your entire career. And it's in those moments that we're wondering, am I going to hope or does my bar chart look a whole lot more like I'm dealing with stress and anxiety? Because I think there's kind of this, this correlation. There's this inverse correlation between hope and stress and anxiety and all the depression that we deal with. That the more hope we have, the less of those things we have. And so what does your bar chart look like? Because really what God is inviting us to is in your stress, are you inviting the hope of God to say, I believe God has more for me? in your worry and anxiety, in your wondering and the questions that you ask late at night, are you hoping for what God has in store? You see, because hope is the anchor for our soul and the anchor for our hope is Christ. And I love that we just say are. Uh, again, Colossians is not written to an individual. It's not like some guy whose name is 
collage. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, no, it's written to a church. And so it's collective. And so it's our hope. And so when we gather together and we have something like breakfast with friends, we come together and we build one another up in our hope because it's us together. And as we look at hope being the anchor for our soul and Christ being the anchor for our hope, we actually see that over and over again, that the reason why Christianity continues to push forward is because we have hope in what God is going to do. So the reason why 2,000 years of church history, we see over and over again Christians loving the people around them, uh, investing in those cities around them. The reason why we see that is because there's hope for what God is going to do in the future. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a pipe dream, but it's something we pray and we hope for in reality. When we see and hear the words, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, we have hope that he'd actually transform us. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount of things like praying for our enemies and living in accordance with the view of God's view of sexuality, and when we see being generous and going the second mile, what is that? It's hope that living in the Jesus way will change the world around us. And the reason we can do that is because we trust in Jesus. Uh, it's crazy for me as I'm on this new fatherhood journey that I have about a thousand illustrations for anything that happens in every moment of life. And the crazy part for me is as, as I'm a dad, my daughter Lively has one way to get anything that she needs. She can't get up and go walk to the fridge and grab herself something to eat. She can't do it. She can't change her own diaper. Like she, she can't do that on her own. She can't keep herself warm. Everything that she does, she has one avenue through which to accomplish it, and that is through her father. And in that same way, the reason why we can have hope is because our hope is not in what we can do, but our hope is to know that our Father is paying attention and loves us and wants good things for us. And in that same way, that is why Christ is an anchor for our hope. So if that's true, then what does it look like for us to live out hope? If we want a living hope, then what does it look like? And there are four different ways that this impacts our everyday life as we look in our passage when it comes to hope. The first one is this, that we have hope in sufferings. We have hope in sufferings. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is, the church. And so let's just kind of get this straight, that I know there's this theme sometimes in some certain types of preaching that says, you want a, you want a good life? You want to never struggle again. You want to never suffer again. You want to be healthy and you want to be rich. And you should come to Jesus because Jesus will give you all of those things. Where Paul, on the other hand, is saying, no, 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 listen, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. You see, there's hope in suffering. When we start to recognize that there's something that God is doing behind the scenes in suffering, we can have hope. One theologian said this. He said, the church is... The body of the crucified Messiah, something Wright contends has been forgotten by the modern church, that the body continues to suffer because reconciliation is a costly business. What that means is that we will suffer. I know that you're like, wow, glad that I came to church in negative 30 to hear a message about how we're going to suffer. Thank you. But suffering is actually this opportunity for us to recognize what God is doing. It's a quote up on the screen. In the biblical model, in either testament, to be chosen by God is not to be protected from suffering. It is a call to suffer and to be delivered as one passes through it. 
the election is for suffering with and for God, seen in the very etymology of the name Israel, a limping people. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that, somebody say so that, we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Can I tell you, when you go through suffering, there is purpose to your suffering. This is not fortune cookie. I'm not telling you that you're not going to go through suffering because you're a Capricorn, right? That's not a thing. What I'm telling you is that every one of us will go through suffering, but the good news is that there is a God of comfort who will comfort us in those things, and that as we suffer, there will be an opportunity for us to encourage somebody else as they go through something else that they're suffering through. You see, we're not supposed to just turn inward as we deal with the struggles of life. We're called to actually turn outward to love the people around them and find ways to encourage them as we're walking through it. Can I tell you this, that hope in suffering lives in the brokenness of this moment, but sees the beauty of God's provision in the next. It lives in the suffering of this moment, but it believes in a better future. Holly, a, a couple of years ago, went on a missions trip to the Philippines. And while she was there, it was pretty crazy because we would, we'd FaceTime or would call one another. And she was 12 hours ahead of me. And so as I was talking to her, I asked her the question, how was tomorrow? So we'd be talking on a Friday. I'd be like, how's Saturday shaping up? Is it good? Because I want to know in advance. Like, I want to know if I can be hopeful for what tomorrow has to hold. And what the Bible does is it gives us a glimpse into the future as if you're talking to somebody else who's seen tomorrow. And the reason you can be hopeful is because there's somebody who's already been there. And he's saying, listen, you can have hope for what tomorrow brings because Christ is in the future. There is hope in suffering. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present moment are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. There is hope in suffering. What that means is we can walk into every situation that we face, every anxiety, every fear, every worry, every question mark, having hope for the future because we know how the story ends and we know that God holds the future. We know that, yes, there might be hardship in this present moment, but we know that for eternity, we get to spend eternity with a God who is a God of hope, who is a God of joy, who's a God of goodness, who will reconcile and restore all things to himself. There is hope in the suffering. The second thing that we see is that there's hope for unity, hope for unity. Verse 25, Paul says this, I've become a servant of the church, which is crazy to think about for a second. You know, that when you say you're a servant of the church, Paul is not saying I became a servant of a building. He's not saying I became a servant of this place that we gather. No, he became a servant of the people of God. I wonder if you were to write down, I became a servant of what would be your phrase. I became a servant of money. I became a servant of comfort. I became a servant of my family. What would be your phrase? Here's what he says. I became a servant of the church according to God's commission that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations. Right? As he's saying that, you got to wonder that they're saying, what is the mystery? It's been hidden. And what is he about to reveal? He says, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. What that shows us is this. Because there was previously a divide, not by God's intent, but because of man's intent between the Jews and the Gentiles. That the Jews saw themselves as the chosen people of God and they were kind of the holy huddle. They were all gathered together and they felt like they had it under control. They had it all going on. When in reality, what God wanted to do from the very beginning was to bless the Jews so that they could bless the other nations. So they could go out and bless the Gentiles. And so we see it's through faith in Christ that we see unity. So uh, just a couple of examples so that you actually see that this is from the biblical story. So we actually see Jonah, right? The story of somebody who was called by God to go to Nineveh, right? And so if you watched VeggieTales growing up, you didn't like Nineveh because they slapped each other with fish. Is that right? Yeah. Might remember it, right? All the, all the kids who grew up in a Christian home were like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so Nineveh, not a good place, right? And so what happens? Jonah doesn't want to go there. Why? Because he doesn't want them to be blessed by repentance and God blessing them. And so what does he do? He runs the opposite direction. And so we saw the Jews over and over again wanting for them to be blessed. When in reality, they were called to be a blessing to all the nations. Isaiah sees a picture of all of the people of the world gathering together to worship at the temple of God. And yet, what do we see over and over again in the church? But division. You see, there's hope in unity. Because unity comes from the Christ that is in you and me. So what that means is that as we look at the broken world around us, we don't divide as Christians over political stance. We don't divide as Christians over the color of our skin. We don't divide as Christians because somebody thinks or walks or talks differently than we do. Why? Because we see beyond what's on the outside to the inside, to the Jesus that's inside of them. And can I tell you, when he says Christ in you, that's not singular, but it's plural. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when I look at Abby, I need Abby. I need Ken. I need Mark in our lives so that we can see Christ in you, the hope of glory united under one name. It should be that the world looks at the church and says, how is that possible that there are so many different types of people who are all together in one place loving one another? There is no us versus them politics. There's no us versus them economics. There's no us versus them age. There's no us versus them sin background. The church is a place where you come to be welcomed into the people of God. This idea that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, revealed for all people. It's an incredible message. The mystery. And this idea of mystery, I think, is really interesting that he talks about mystery. And what you're going to realize in just a couple of weeks is that Colossians is actually, the church in Colossae is struggling because there's actually a number of people who have come in and they begin to claim secret knowledge, right? They begin to say, well, listen, you need to have this experience with God. And really, we're more spiritual than you are. And if you had this experience that I had, then you would really truly understand it. And this is what Paul does. Paul's like, no, that's, that is total junk. That's not it at all. The mystery that you need to know is not any secret knowledge or any secret experience. There is one mystery that to be revealed, and that is Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah. And so in the church today, I want to let you know, if you haven't had a certain experience, it's okay if you've experienced Jesus. If you don't have the secret knowledge that people seem to, you know, you sow your seed of faith and you'll get something back, that's nothing. That means nothing. The one thing that matters is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the one mystery worth knowing. You see, we see this over and over again, but the question would be, what does it mean that Christ is in you? We've talked about being in Christ before. 
This idea of being able to be in Christ is almost like a tree that is planted in soil. And as long as that tree is planted in soil, what does it do? It receives the nutrients from the soil and it continues to grow. It makes sense that it's, that it's in the soil. That's what it means to be in Christ. But what does it mean that Christ is in you? As we breathe right now, there's air around you. You're in the air, you could say. But there's also air in you giving you life and animating every moment. And so what it means is that the very spirit of Christ actually dwells in you, empowering you to live in a new way. This is the great vision of Christianity is not that you got to do it on your own, but that there's actually a spirit who empowers you. Ezekiel saw this. He's an Old Testament prophet as he saw water flowing from the tabernacle and from the temple that eventually became this ginormous river that swept everything along in its path. And we saw this, this understanding, this spirit it would come. We saw Joel saw a day where the men and women would prophesy and dream dreams and the spirit would be poured out on, on all of us. Jeremiah saw a time where the very spirit of God would write the law of God on our hearts. And so we're not doing it on our own, but we're doing it by the very spirit and power of Christ. And so there's unity because of hope, because of what God is doing in us, because we need one another, because of the Christ in us. As we live into that, we experience this in a new way. And so it's not church against church or person against person. It's all of us hanging out with breakfast, with friends, together with one another, encouraging and building one another up. The third one is this, that there's hope for maturity and endurance. Verse 28, we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone. I love that it doesn't say someone. You know, it's like, it doesn't say we present the pastor. You know, that one guy who seems super spiritual. I'm not saying the pastor is super, but uh, the one guy who seems super spiritual, right? No, it says that so we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me. You see, over and over again, what do we see? We see Paul teaching Christ, and it is through the teaching of Jesus that people become mature. Uh, I'll never forget that when Holly and I were going to get engaged, that I was a little bit late in buying the engagement ring, and so I had it sent to her house, and so I went to visit her and her family, and as I was there, I picked up that engagement ring, and I was staying in their basement at the time, and so I would go down to the basement, I would look at this diamond, and it was crazy, you know, you'd watch this diamond and do you know that there are about 56 facets to every diamond? And so 56 different ways you can look at it to be able to see it from a different perspective. And so you see it from all these different angles and that's what it looks like to pick up Jesus. That if you walk into church and it's not Jesus that weekend, then we're missing out on the fullness of what God has for us because what we do is we pick him up and we say, look at him from this angle and look at him this way and don't you see the way that he changes your life in this way? And if there's ever a message that doesn't include Jesus, we missed what it means to be Christians. And so every weekend, my hope is that you're like, oh, there he is talking about Jesus again, because that's our only message. Can I tell you this? If you show up to church hoping to hear any message besides Jesus, you've put whatever that is above Jesus. And so we want to check ourselves to say, no, 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 listen, we want to preach Jesus that we all might be mature. You see, when we are mature in Christ, it's not that we're trying or striving the reason why my daughter looks like me and, and, and is going to talk like us and sound like us and look like us is not because she tries and strives, but because it's in her DNA. In the same way, Christ in you means that you have the DNA of God. That you have the DNA to become somebody who is full of goodness and patience and love. 
to overflow with generosity on the people around you, to be able to have and handle the anger that sometimes rises up inside of you. You have what you need because you have the very power of Christ living inside of you. And maturity looks like living into Jesus. Maturity is not how much you know. It's it's how much you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and allow him to be able to take control of all of who you are. We've used this illustration before that I want you to imagine that I invite you into my house. But as you walk into my house, I say, um, don't, don't, don't go anywhere, though. And you just step on the welcome mat and you just stay there. And, and you just hang out there and it'll be, it'll be great. I'm glad you're in my house, right? You'd feel a little bit like, hey, look, why did I come over if I can't like come over and have a meal with you or come to your living room? And yet some of us do that with Jesus, that we say, yeah, Christ is in me, but I'm gonna shut him off from different areas of my life. And what we need is the very power of God to come into every facet of our life to say, it's all yours. You can have it all. And when we do that, we begin to see change and transformation, maturity built up in Christ. So we see that that's Paul's labor. And we see that that's what he pours himself out for is the hope that we would be mature and that we would endure. And so my hope for you, as you look at Movement Church, our hope is that you would become mature and not mature in the sense that you just know more things, but maturity in the sense that you allow yourself to be living by the Spirit, that that you actually begin to disciple the people around you and love the people around you and reach out into the world around you with the way that Jesus would if he were you. That's maturity, not how much you know. And so that's what we're about is raising up people who know Jesus and who are living into him. And so we sow hope in maturity and endurance. The last one is this, that we see ultimately there is hope in Christ. That if we want living hope, living hope comes from hope in Christ. Chapter two, verse one. For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding And have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to recognize that what he says, what he recognizes is that, listen, it is only in Christ. And so ultimately we see that there is hope in Christ. It's it's not this, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, what does this even look like? Um, it's not that like inside of Christ, Christ is like a jewelry box that like you open them up and then there's riches and understanding, right? It's not that. It's not that you use him to get something, but it is Jesus himself that is the riches. It is Jesus himself that is the wisdom and the understanding that when we come to him, we don't use him to get to something else, but we come to him because he is the very thing that our soul longs for. And we begin to see that the very mystery of all that we long for is in Christ, the risen Lord. The one that Galatians says this, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. First Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And it is through Jesus that we have the hope of glory. 
the hope that we don't live for this moment. You see, the, the good and the bad news is, the bad news is that there's 100% of us that will end up in some sort of grave someday. But the good news is that every one of us is an opportunity to be able to have the hope of glory found in Jesus Christ in every moment of our life that we're living, to recognize that we don't have to worry or be anxious or stressed because we have a father who is good and who loves us and a son who actually sent himself for us so that we might be able to have relationship with him for all of eternity. That's the message that Paul preached, the hope of glory. So here's what we're going to do as we, uh, as we close for a moment. Is I would just love, you just kind of close your eyes for a moment. And, uh, and I would just love for you to think about what it means that you find hope. As we're kind of all encountering different realities this week, as we're um, looking at different things that we're hoping for, that I would love for you to just reflect in this moment, what is an area of your life that you need hope in? Maybe an area where you've realized that, you know what, I have a lot of worry, I have a lot of anxiety, I have a lot of fear. I have some things that if I were to look at the bar chart of my weekly usage of my heart and my thoughts, that maybe there's something that seems to dominate that I need God to enter into. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to allow you to invite Jesus into that. That maybe for you today that you need to know that there's hope in the struggle. There's hope in the suffering. Maybe you need to know that there's hope and unity, that there's maybe some broken relationships in your life that you're realizing, I need unity, and there's hope in Christ and unity. Maybe you need hope in your own maturity, that there have been some things that you've been dealing with that you just need God to step into. Can I tell you, there have been a hundred things this week that I realized that, man, I need hope in my own maturity, that as I was even preparing for this weekend's message, that if there were some uh, text messages that I missed from people, there were some phone calls I missed from people, and I was like, man, I'm not as good of a pastor as I want, but can I tell you that there's hope in maturity, not in who I am, but in who Christ is, that there's hope in Christ. And then we're gonna sing this song about the goodness of God and how he's been faithful. And because of his past faithfulness, we can have hope for his future, future faithfulness. And so go ahead and just take a moment in your own seat, invite him into this moment, and then we're going to sing together.